Finnovate showcases cutting-edge banking and financial technology through a global conference series featuring short-form demos and thought leadership. Now, the conversation continues on the Finnovate podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Finnovate podcast. Joining me today, we have Elizabeth McCluskey, head of the Discovery Fund at True Stage Ventures. Elizabeth, thanks so much for taking the time. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So to kick things off, can you give us just a quick background on yourself and True Stage? Yeah, happy to. So I've spent my career in financial services, um, starting with investment banking and wealth management. So I kind of got to see different aspects of financial services over the course of my career before turning to venture capital about eight years ago. And while I initially was doing kind of broad-based early-stage VC investing, I really honed in on financial services and fintech as an area that I wanted to explore more deeply. Um, So the opportunity came up to lead the Discovery Fund about two years ago. And what I was really excited about was to join a company that was focused on investing in early-stage entrepreneurs who came from underrepresented backgrounds and focusing on solutions for financial inclusion. So the Discovery Fund uh, invests pre-seed through Series A into uh, companies who have a CEO who's a person of color, woman, or LGBTQ founder. And True Stage, our parent company, uh, serves the credit union ecosystem with financial services and insurance products. So we also have a really nice opportunity to make some strategic connections between our portfolio companies and the broader credit union ecosystem that we serve through the parent company. Yeah, no, it's really cool. And we're going to talk more specifically about some of those pieces in a little bit. But before we do, I want to take a quick snapshot from a super high level. Um, you know, How is the fintech funding environment looking right now from your perspective? I mean, obviously, we've had a lot of news articles about where it's at right now. Um, but what are the big picture factors that are at play um, that are affecting how fintechs are raising money right now? Yeah, it's been a wild ride for the past couple of yep. years. So I think, you know, there was a lot of euphoria in 2021, uh, which led to a ton of deal volume and really high valuations. I think COVID led to kind of a realization that a lot of financial services need to be needed to become digital much more quickly. And so there was sort of that that wave of fintech euphoria that crashed pretty hard in 2022 due to you know, some geop- geopolitical factors and economic conditions with rising interest rates and sort of fear of uh, recession on the horizon. I think as 2023 has started to play out, we're seeing things kind of come back to an equilibrium and levels of funding look like they're a little bit more of a return to that steady state we had in like 2019, 2020, 20, early part of 2021. Um, so I think things are kind of, calming down a little bit, which is reassuring, I think, on on both the VC and the entrepreneur side that, you know, we're people aren't kind of running around with their heads chopped off anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I I'm I'm optimistic about the next 12 to 24 months because I think now that expectations have been tempered on both sides, we are seeing entrepreneurs coming back to the table and being willing to raise at more realistic valuations. And I think venture capitalists who had been kind of very much focused on supporting their portfolio companies during a turbulent time and only really committing to, you know, bridge rounds or extensions within their existing portfolio are starting to finally open up their checkbooks for new opportunities again. So just anecdotally speaking, 
you know, we're committing to a couple of new deals in the last few months, which we really hadn't done for several months prior to that. And as I am then circulating those opportunities with some other investors in my network, they're starting to say yes to taking those introductions and being potentially interested in exploring some new investment opportunities. So I think kind of a sigh of relief for entrepreneurs that that funding is out there and that there is interest. People are starting to sniff around again for deals, um, albeit yeah. perhaps at lower valuations than they would have gotten if they were raising these rounds two years ago. Yeah, and it's certainly cause for optimism there. I think you touched on something interesting, which is the valuations of the companies. Obviously, that valuations have come down across the board. Um, it's always difficult to say what evaluation, you know, quote unquote, should be. It's really a, a murky number. But um, what's your instinct right now? Say, are, are we getting closer to, you know, valuation levels that are more reasonable? Or has the pendulum swung too far the other way? Will we start to see valuations rise again um, over the next couple of years? Yeah, again, I think you kind of look to the public markets as the leading indicator for what's going to happen in the private markets. And I think particularly in the fintech space, the direct-to-consumer fintechs got hit so hard. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you saw some of the, like, buy now, pay later names, the the Robin Hoods and the Chimes of the world come crashing down. And I think they were, you know, 80, 90% below their peak levels earlier this summer. But I think even in the last couple of months, we've started to see those valuations bounce back. And so I think the private markets are probably a few months behind them. Um, so I think anybody who is a private company that has raised around in the last four or five months has definitely taken that haircut from a valuation perspective now. I think there's probably some fintechs out there who have still been hanging on and have been able to make it through this time without raising. So I think there may still be some rounds in the next you know, six months or so where they still need to take that haircut that they should have taken in the last 12 months, and they've just been able to kind of... <laughs> exist on fumes. Um, so I think maybe a little bit more kind of price correction is is to come, but I think expectations have already adjusted in terms of valuation. So I think we will, uh, hopefully we won't kind of go back to crazy high levels anytime soon, but I think we're starting to reach a bit of a bottom when it comes to valuations. Yeah. I really like this euphemism, by the way, take the haircut. I haven't heard that one before. And I think that's just a really, it sounds so pleasant. Oh, you're going to go get a haircut. It's That's right. It grows it, back, you know, it, it's exactly. not forever. It'll, it'll come back. Um, so looking, obviously, the, the situation that we're in right now is different, I think, from when a lot of the fintech companies that we've seen become successful uh, got their start. Um, what advice do you have for fintechs right now who are just getting started, who are kind of looking around and thinking, you know, all these potential role models are people who found success in a very different environment from the one that we're in now. Um, so, so what's their best growth strategy for those early stage fintechs in this moment right now? Yeah, it's funny because I think there might have been a Sequoia presentation that was circulated within the last couple of years about how some of the the strongest and most successful companies were actually forged during really challenging economic times. So I think it's easy for companies today to say, man, if I had started a couple of years ago or those companies that started in you know 2020 and 2021 really had it easy. And that may be true, but I think there are advantages to, to building your company in a more capital constrained environment. I think it gives you and your team that discipline and that culture around you know, growing towards profitability and managing your your cash and managing your investors and expectations in a much more disciplined way that's going to set you up for that success long term. So 
hopefully entrepreneurs aren't feeling too sorry for themselves about starting a business um, in today's conditions. And I think, you know, in terms of advice to give them, I've given this advice as have many others many times, but, um, you know, sometimes you have to say things repeatedly for them to actually sink in. I think one of the best attributes of, of early stage companies is really how do they communicate with existing investors and prospective investors? And, you know, how are they transparent about all the great things that are happening in their business, but also some of the challenges that they're facing or that they might see coming up on the horizon. So I would encourage people to really be proactive about building kind of target lists of relationships that you want to develop and starting to engage with those people well in advance of needing to raise capital from them. Um, I've been added, you know, especially in the last couple of months with some of the new companies I'm talking to, I've been added to several kind of investor update lists, even though I'm not an investor in these companies, just so that I can really see that monthly cadence and that monthly progress of like, here's what's going well, here's what's not going well, here's what we're asking anybody in our network to help us with so far, because you're never going to get that support you need unless you ask for it. And I think I've seen even with some of my existing portfolio companies that if they kind of fall off on being good about communicating with their investors, then they fall off the top of my mind too, right? They're not mm-hmm. on kind of my radar and then I'm not going to be as helpful or value added to them. So I think making sure that you're always kind of proactive and communicative, both with your existing investors and with prospective investors, because part of our strength and our contribution to entrepreneurs is really like our network, but we're only going to engage our network if we're reminded and if we're asked to do so. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. And I think the point about it being pieces that people have heard multiple times before it hasn't resonated is, is a crucial one. This is not uh, unique to this area. I think um, it's something that you need to say a lot, but the relationship is so important. And, and there's so many, it's never been easier, I think, to cultivate that kind of relationship given the tools that we have right now. Um, I want to switch gears here and come back to uh, the piece that we talked about at the beginning, which is really getting into um, not just the general fund, which True Stage has going on, but the discovery fund, which you lead, which is focused on you know, fintechs with diverse founders and leadership teams. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that discovery fund came to be? Yes. So as I mentioned, True Stage, which was formerly known as Q to Mutual. So if you have any listeners who are unfamiliar with True Stage. The name is new, the company is not. Um, So we established a ventures arm about seven years ago, and that True Stage Ventures has focused on Series A and later stage companies. So we've kind of established a track record and a reputation in the space. We've deployed about $300 million of capital into fintechs, primarily those that can partner with credit unions and help kind of improve consumer financial well-being. Um, So you know, based on that track record, we said, what more can we do? We felt like there's more opportunities to have an impact in the fintech space. So decided to launch the Discovery Fund about two years ago, again, to address some of the inequities we see in the VC and early stage funding landscape, um, which, you know, as some of your listeners may know, you know, has historically been very inequitable, unfortunately. So less than 3% of VC funding goes to Black and Hispanic entrepreneurs, and less than 3% of funding goes to women entrepreneurs. Um, if you look at intersectionality, it's, you know, well under 1% that goes to women of color. There's not even statistics really on LGBTQ founders. So it's been, um, 
you know, a lot of capital has been funneled to the same types of people for a long time. And so the Discovery Fund was launched to to help address some of that issue, but also because we think uh, founders who come from those underrepresented backgrounds are best positioned to build some of the solutions in the financial services space that we're most interested in. So we really are looking for solutions that are going to address financial inclusion and make financial services more affordable and accessible for consumers across the U.S. And it's oftentimes people who have experienced a particular problem who are then committed um, and sort of best positioned to solve that problem. So I think a lot of the underrepresented founders we invest in often have a very personal story that ties them to the solution that they're building because they've experienced some form of financial exclusion. And they're saying, I, I want to do my part in making the system work better, not just for me, but for my community, for my family, for my peers. Um, so I think that's kind of the business case behind it, but it also speaks to the types of people that we're investing in who are really passionate and mission-driven and are going to stick with these companies even through the hard times because being an entrepreneur is a very challenging uh, journey. And so, you know, we want people who are going to be committed to making these businesses work in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's one of those things that everybody kind of knows that if you don't have a diverse group of people who are creating solutions, then your solutions are inherently going to be missing something because they don't represent all the perspectives that are available. And there's a difference between knowing this from kind of an academic theoretical sense and actually putting it into practice and saying, we're going to do something about this to go out and proactively grab them. And so it's it's interesting to hear about that discovery fund. Um, the question I have now is, I mean, why does there need to be a separate fund um, for startups with more diversity on their leadership teams? Why is this not something that can be accounted for in the existing funds? I think it really holds us accountable as an investors. And it's also a signal to the rest of the market that you know, diverse founders are worth investing in and they're worth prioritizing. And we think these, again, are some of the most promising solutions that we could be investing in. Um, and so for us, it's really just, you know, making that headline commitment and then actually following through with our action. So saying we're going to deploy $5 million of capital a year into diverse founders. And then I think what's exciting is we do have a really strong relationship between the Discovery Fund and the Ventures Fund. So the hope is that, you know, a number of companies that go through the Discovery Fund and who we get to build relationships with and support and help them figure out how to kind of find that product market fit and start to scale their businesses can then go on and kind of, quote unquote, graduate to the Ventures Fund and get those larger checks from us as they start to get into those later stages. So of the 18 companies we've invested in over the last two years from the Discovery Fund, we already have three companies that have graduated into the Ventures Fund. And I think we're going to hope to continue to build on that track record um, and just you know build those relationships over time and, and kind of get the Discovery Fund companies more and more integrated into different partnerships with various aspects of our company and our credit union ecosystem. Yeah, and I think that sounds, it makes a ton of sense when you say it like that. And then this is something which we look at from our side as well. Um, obviously, at Finnovate, we started offering uh, scholarships for companies with diverse founders or who are tackling uh, problems in the kind of social good or financial inclusion space. Um, and we're seeing the same type of thing as well, that once you give some of these companies an opportunity to come, um, then it's able they're able to kind of make that leap into the um, the rest of the the companies and a lot of them do come back and become more traditional demoers later on. So it's something where, you know, you, you have to be intentional about it initially, 
or else it just doesn't happen. And so I think that's a really crucial piece to to put in place. And for anybody who's out there um, from other from a venture capital standpoint, I think you you probably need to be doing more to go out and and court some of these um, more diverse founders and, and really broaden the scope of solutions that are inside your portfolio. Um, last question, we're almost out of time here, but you know, what's the overlap that you're seeing between kind of the credit union space, which obviously is where True Stage uh, is really focused, between that credit union space and some of these diversity and inclusion initiatives? Do you find that credit unions are, are by and large you know, welcoming of, to founders focused on financial inclusion or, or other sort of social good fintechs? Yes, definitely. I think that's part of why it's so great and so exciting to work within the credit union ecosystem. Um, you know, credit unions are a nonprofit financial institutions. So they really exist to serve their members uh, with affordable financial services. They're not out to, to nickel and dime people and to try to take advantage of customers. So I think very much built into their DNA and into their missions is this desire to serve people um, and to, you know, kind of build on this philosophy of people helping people. So, you know, in trying to best serve their members, I think they're often looking at who their members are and how those demographics are evolving. And I think the future of credit union membership is becoming increasingly diverse and therefore they need to find solutions that are going to meet their needs, which often come in the form of Again, supporting diverse entrepreneurs who are building those solutions um, and looking, I think, at DEI from multiple lenses. So how can they make their leadership teams and their boards more inclusive and diverse? How do they meet the needs and kind of manage teams, um, you know, whether that's branch employees or back office employees or whomever that are becoming increasingly diverse as a workforce? And then how also can they equip those employees to better serve the needs of an increasingly diverse membership base. So even things like, you know, if they have a high proportion of Spanish speaking members, do they have enough people within their branches who are speaking Spanish, who can translate documents for them, et cetera. So I think the DEI strategy is something that has to be thought about holistically. And I think credit unions have done a great job of that so far. Um, and we're committed to continuing to help them with that journey. So actually at True Stage, we have a DEI consulting arm that's really working with credit unions kind of in a variety of capacities on how they can think about DEI across their whole whole organization. And then obviously the Discovery Fund is bringing some specific fintech solutions to them that we think can help support their efforts towards financial inclusion. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And I think it's a it's an excellent program. I, I think this is the kind of thing that we could talk about for a lot longer, um, but unfortunately we are out of time. There's there's so much here to follow up on. So you know, as they say, uh, watch this space. We'll continue to be um, at Finnovate events, continuing to bring these items to the forefront. Um, and of course, it's great to hear from uh, people like you, Elizabeth, who are, are kind of leading the charge here. So again, Elizabeth McCluskey, head of the Discovery Fund at True Stage Ventures. Thanks again for joining me. It was a very enlightening conversation. Thanks, Greg. It was my pleasure. The Finnovate podcast is produced by Informa Connect in association with Provoke.fm Media. Check out Finnovate.com for information on Finnovate's upcoming shows and to learn how you can get involved. The discount code Finnovate Podcast will save you 20% on tickets to all of our events. And you can email us at info at for information on sponsoring, speaking, or demoing. Thanks for listening.